Now, I started this series last week. And what is it? We are dealing with the old age question. And what is the question? The question is, why does the wicked or the way of the wicked prosper? Why the way of the righteous seems to suffer? It's a very old age question that many prophets have asked. Like I said last week, Habakkuk asked it, Job asked it, King David asked it, Isaac, which I used last week, asked that, Jeremiah asked it. So many of the prophets of old asked that question. Because in their mind, they look at the Trinity between it, and there were the curses and the, the blessings. So if you obey God, if you are righteous, if you do the things of God, you're supposed to prosper. And those who are far away, the wicked here is those who are far away from God. Not those who use guns or knives or things like that. Or excuse me. But the wicked here in the Bible is those who are far from God. And the righteous here is not somebody who is sinless because you can't get anyone. But somebody who is close to God. Who does the things of God. And why do they suffer? That's the old expression. And last week, we attempted to digest it using Psalm 73. Because there was a guy called Asap, Asap or Asap, depending on if you went to Oxford or Cambridge. Wrote that Psalm. And he asked that question because his problem was that the wicked were prospering in material wealth. They were healthy. They have no troubles. And they would die happily without pains. That was it. And he saw the righteous, those who were close to God, the other way around. So he was so furious that he was even getting to the point of backsliding. But this guy was a Levite. And uh, in the musical industry of God, he formed a school called uh, the, the Guild of Symbols. They were, they were training the children for symbol. But at that point, he saw what was happening. And he was nearly backsliding. Until he went to the sanctuary of God and he saw the big picture. And what was the big picture? He saw that those he called uh, prosperous people, it was, that, that prosperity was a mirage. In a dream, here, they see it, but when the time comes, they will see those things no more. So it was a mirage. It was, it was temporary. And he realized later that God loves us. God loves him. And no matter what, God wants to be with him. And God wants to be with us. And then he started speaking in heavenly terms. And he, he saw the destiny that his home was not here. His home was to be with the Lord. And he said, God said, Jesus said, 
in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. And I'm going to prepare you a place. And where I am, I want you to be with me. So when the guy saw that now, that, ah, much actually, I, my destiny was to be with God. But I'm here temporary to propagate the good news of God or to do the work of God or to bring the kingdom of God. That's what we are here to do, to propagate the kingdom of God, to bring the kingdom of God at hand, to uh, allow many people to go into the kingdom of God. After that, we will be with Jesus. That's what the guy saw. Today, we are going to look at the same question from a different perspective, using a different book in the Bible. We are going to use the book of Jeremiah. And it's Jeremiah chapter 12 that we're going to do. But first of all, let me give the background of, so that we don't read the whole book. Let me give the background. Jeremiah was called to prophecy around 626 BC, before Christ, by God. And his mandate was to warn the Israelites of invaders from the north coming to destroy Jerusalem because of their disobedience, because their hearts were far away from God. Why their hearts were far away from God? Because they were corrupt prophets and priests who were, I mean, uh, far from God and leading, them, leading the people astray. Initially, he hesitated to the calling by making excuses. We will read that in Jeremiah chapter 1 but later surrounded to God and became a great spiritual leader. And, 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 and his prophecies spanned across three kings. We'll, we'll read that when we chapter one. However, the people who needed him most rejected him because of deceptions of the corrupt prophets and the priests. Even his own kinsmen later turned against him. They chose rebellion instead of obedience. So this time, Jeremiah's complaint was not like ordinary people prospering, but like the priests and then the prophets prospering. Why he, supposed to be the righteous one, was suffering? Because everybody was turning against him. That was his problem. Now, he cried for his people regularly, but they didn't change. And also cried to God because he didn't like most of the ways God was treating his people. How God dealt with them. He didn't like it. So he cried that people change. They were not. He cried to God, God, please, mellow a little bit. So in the end, the people... Uh, I mean, if you look at the Bible study, they call him a weeping prophet. I think you might have heard that before. A weeping prophet. He was always crying for his people. In this context, Jeremiah wondered why a holy committed the false prophet and unfaithful priest to prosper in the ministry. Those he called the wicked. Why his faithful servant, righteous, uh, was treated like a sacrificial lamb. When he's, at the time that he said that, there was the drought and famine in the land of Jerusalem. 
And while the people were not getting food to eat, while they were suffering, the priests and then the prophets were eating in abundance. They had everything. Had the camels, the camels, the calves, and everything. Does this sound something that is happening now? Go to my country, Ghana. Why the ordinary people go to market and bring the, the priests and, the, and, the, and the, the prophets, they are riding in big, big cars, aeroplanes. And when you say, they said, Abraham was rich. So God's servant must be rich. What about God's people, ordinary people? So that was Jeremiah's problem. So now let's read. It didn't seem right to him, so he complained. So let's read. We'll read chapter 1, and then we'll go to chapter 12, which is where I'll be uh, uh, measuring. So let's read chapter 1 first, because chapter 1 was the calling of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And uh, so we see his mandate. The words of Jeremiah, so Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatot, in the land of Benjamin. His father, Hilkiah, was a priest. So he was in the line of the priesthood as well. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. So the first king that uh, uh, I said his, his reign span of uh, three kings. The first king was Josiah, is it? And then the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. So after Josiah was Jehoiakim. And then until the end of 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah. So Josiah, uh, what do you call it? The other one, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. So it spanned across these three kings. He was still prophesying. He was still calling them to change. King of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, I think many of us from here, many of us will quote it easily. But that's why I wanted to read it for us to understand why we quote this. Saying, before I form you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. I ordain you a prophet to the nation. Then I said, that's uh, uh, um, Jeremiah saying, says, that's the excuses. He said, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't adulterate it. Don't mix it up with anything. What I say, you shall say it. Do not be afraid of the faces of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. It sounds to me like the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. Behold, I am with you always. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set 
So this was the commission. This was the commission that the Lord has given him. I have this day set you over the nations, over the kingdom, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. That was his commission. Praise the living God. So that is the background. So now let's go to 12. Chapter 12. And we'll do 1 to 5. Then chapter 12, what happened is, after God giving him this commission, and, and, and God said, I will be with you, and say whatever I have said, Jehovah went doing that, but the people were not listening because they were swayed by the false prophets and the false priests. And those false prophets and false priests were prospering while the ordinary people were suffering. Then Jeremiah came and said, no, this cannot be right. I have to complain. So now let's look at the complaint. Verse 1. He said, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Same like Asap. Asap said, uh, 73, uh, uh, Psalm 73, verse 1. Asap said, you are good, God. Same. So right, uh, Jeremiah opened up with Righteous are you, O oh God, when I plead with you. You are right always, oh my God, when I plead with you. Now is the B is that yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Hey Lord, this time I think you have blown it. I think your judgment is <clears throat> this time, Lord, your judgment, I can I can't see how righteous is this judgment. The righteous suffering and the wicked, what do you call, prospering. How can this be righteous, Lord? How can this judgment be righteous? Say, so yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why, those, why are those who deal so treacherously? Why do they prosper? <laughs> so why are those who do treacherous, that treachery, treacherous is here, deceit. Those who deal in deceit, why are they prospering? They are thriving. Thriving. And said, verse 2, he said, you have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. In his mind, God has allowed them to take root. They grow and even produce fruits. That's what I've written here. So they honor you with your lips, but their hearts are far away from you. Deceit. Then verse 3, he said, But you, Lord, you know me. You have seen me. You have examined me. That's what the uh, Amplified said. You have examined me. I am far I don't do these things that they are doing. You have tested my heart towards you. Then he suggested to God something. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Lord, why don't you finish them already? Have you asked that question before? I have asked that question before. 
Sometimes when I see injustice, I say, Lord, let me be God for one day. No, no, not a day, an hour. <laughs> then, I, then, then I think, I say, ah, if God is to finish everybody, he would have finished me a long time. <laughs> he said, finish them already, Lord. Then we go to uh, verse 4. He said, how long will the land be dry? How long the land mourn and the hairs of the every field wither? The beasts and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end. How long will all these things happen? See, God's focus at that moment was not on the wicked. If you are in the service, a child of God, you are in the service and the, and the wicked is thriving. God's focus is not on the wealth, not on the wealth of the wicked. God's focus is on the commission that he has given you as a child of God to bring those people into the kingdom of God. You shouldn't bother about their, uh, what you call, uh, prosperity. Don't bother about their prosperity. It's the soul. The commission that has given to us is to win souls. That is the more important to God. Those prosperity, they are, like I said, a mirage. They are temporary. If you own, if businessmen own Thousand businesses all when they die, do they put any of the business in there? In 70 years, 80 years, they close their eyes, the things are there no more. It's the soul that God was interested in. It appears that Jeremiah was asking how. Can I get out of this seemingly unreasonable situation? As most of us will do. But the question shouldn't be how can I get out of it? But the question should be what do you want me to learn or do about the situation, Lord? That should be the question. What do you want me to learn? Or do about this situation. To change this situation, Lord. Don't worry about uh, what you call the prosperity. If we are always to put our eyes on people's prosperity, our neighbor's prosperity, or, or what they are doing right or what... If you have to put our eyes on those, their wealth, we will always be asking this question. But the question we should be asking is, God, how can we change their hearts towards you? How can we bring people to the kingdom of God? What can I learn from you? What, what should I do? And when I was studying, I, I came across a, 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 a book, 
in the book said something, and I wrote it down, and I think it's, it gave me some very good insight. It said, God's servants should not live by explanation. God's servants should not live by explanation. Rather, they should live by the promises of God. I will explain. He said, because the explanations may satisfy your curiosity. But you can't do anything about it sometimes. And many a times, we do understand the reason why we go into difficulties or the explanations at the tail end of our suffering. Some, most of the time. So at the tail end of the suffering, they say, ah, this is what God was doing. You see? Oh, this is what. So we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't actually look for the explanations. They are good. I'm not saying sometimes they go, what is, why, what's happening in this land? But what the man, the, uh, the, 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 the theologian was saying that we should rather look for the promises of God in that situation and change that situation. Hallelujah. Is that if you live on the promises of God, you will build a character and be better servant of God than looking for the explanations. What would the explanation do to you? But look for the promises. And there are so many promises of God that will take us out of the situation or that will uh, 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 let us build a character. That will that, that is build muscles to be strong and to do exploit for God. Hallelujah. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, I think we know this story. Elijah the Tishbite said to King Ahab, and he was using the promises of God. He said, as long as the God of Israel lives before, when, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain. This year, except by my word. How did Elijah come to that conclusion? Because God has written it in the book. And Elijah quoted what God has written. That is in Deuteronomy chapter 11, 16 to 17. Elijah quoted what God has said. So we don't live by explanation. We live by what? The promises of God. To overcome situation. To build muscles. And then we will become true servants of God. And we will be able to do exploits for God. Hallelujah. No wonder in the New Testament, James, the book of James, it says, Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man just like us. He only believed God and quoted the word of God. Now, God's reply to Jeremiah or God's rebuke Jeremiah reveals three things, three important truths about the service to God. And we are all called into the service to God. Every one of us. We are called into the service of God. Some will be leaders, of course. Pastors, uh, prophets, which I don't consider them too much these days. I consider those with prophetic ministries. Some will be 
teachers, some will be uh, so many what, what, the ones that the pastors give me here. Some, and that is fine. But everyone, apart from those ones, everyone has called. Everyone is called to a service. If you are born again, you are called to a service. In fact, the number one service is to propagate the kingdom of God. Number one service is to testify, like Brother uh, Pastor Dele said, testify to the glory of God. The number, that's the first service. That's the great commission that God gave us. And he said, I, am, I will be with you to the end of the days. That is the number one commission. That's the number one service. A call to service is to blow the trumpet of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But then there are many div uh, dimensions. You see? So, the, the reply to Jeremiah reveals three important truths about the service of God. First, the life of a godly servant isn't easy. Is It's not easy. Jesus himself said this. I'm sending you into the world, the pack of wolves. Isn't it? You are going against a, di a different force to bring people into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, un 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 unless you burn that force, you cannot do that. So it's not easy. It's, it's not just anything, uh, uh, any ordinary Christian. You've got to be in the things of God. You've got to have relationship with God, Christ. You've got to be strong in the word, strong in the worship, strong in everything. Be empowered in the Holy Spirit. And you can make a breakthrough. So the life of a servant isn't easy. It's not to see my neighbor here is prospering. That is not your calling, my God. I told you last week that yes, we all need them. Because God would, and yeah, I mean, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything shall be added to you. And I explained that everything added is not to fold your arms, but, to, but, but with prayer and with dedication and the skills that God has given you, uh, bring those things. But God will always give you food, shelter, and clothing. Adequate one. Food, shelter, and clothing. We are not to amass all those big houses and all those big things and all the, for people to see that we are pro prospering. That is not prosperity. That is worldly prosperity. So the life of a godly servant isn't easy. Second Timothy 3, 12, in fact, said it. That all those who desire to live godly life will suffer persecution. All those who, all those who desire to live godly life will what? suffer persecution. Had Jeremiah remained as a priest, in, because he came from the priestly line, his father Hezekiah was a priest, he would probably have had a comfortable life, just like the other priests and the prophets, and secured life. But when God called him to be the mouthpiece of God, it was an opposite thing. Second, the life of service becomes harder even as you are maturing. So the youth, you are going to do Christian maturity. <laughs> I thank God for that. As you are maturing, the life of service becomes harder a little bit. 
Because God told Jeremiah, straight, he said, Jeremiah, you have been running with full soldiers, which is stage one. <laughs> How can you run with horses? Stage two. So it's going to be stage one, a little bit trial. Stage two is going to be harder. As you are maturing for God to do the service of God, it's going to be harder. I read it here. Before he was facing trials, but he could cope and live. God described that as a land of peace. Yeah. <laughs> Even the trials that he was facing in that time, God described as a land of peace. And he said, and you are tired. How can you live in the flood plains of the Jordans, where there are jackals, lions, scorpions, etc.? Before, the attacks were from outside. And sooner, the attacks came from what? Inside, his own household. Denying him. He said, Jeremiah, stop what you are saying and let you know, no, no, no. Because his household came from the line of priesthood. And he was against them. And Jeremiah was hurting. But then, there is always light at the tunnel. So the third one is, and that is derived from the first two, the life of a service gets better as we grow more mature. Start with stage one, stage two, difficult, difficult. Then it gets better because you have what? Overcome, just as the Lord overcame. The life of a service gets better as we grow more mature. See, challenges help Jeremiah to develop his faith and grew in the ministry and accomplished more for God. We, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Let's read that one. I like to read it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. He said, the life, uh, you have to run the race with endurance. Hebrews chapter 12. Yes. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay outside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnare us and run with what? Endurance, the race that lies before us. So it's an endurance race. It's not uh, the quick one. What's the name of the quick one? Uh, sprint. It's sprint. It's not sprint. It's endurance. That lies before us. Let's go on, please. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured. He endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Carry on. Is it the end of it? And end of three. For consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose hearts. 
Asap and Jeremiah were growing weary and they were losing heart. Because they focused on the wrong direction. But he said, focus on Jesus Christ who endured to the cross. Focus on his promises that he will be with you to the end. Focus on him. That is in my father's house, there are many mansions. That is your destination. Your destination is to the many mansions. That's where you have to focus. Not when people are driving in a, 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 a better cars than you. Not when people are living in bigger houses than you. When people are prospering material things than you. Your focus is... That's where you end your race. To be with Christ. Hallelujah. Last week, we had Jim Reeves. I want us to pray again. Jim Reeves, please. I want us to pray again. And put the, put the word on the board for us. My own. My friends are hardly down somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord. In heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home. Just over in glory land, glory land we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drip back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no no friend like God. If heaven's not my if home, not my home. Then Lord, what will I do? What will I do? The angels beckon me. Yeah, call him from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They are beckoning us to come.
But the reason why we have not gone is we have a mandate here. We have an assignment here. That assignment is great commission. That assignment is to propagate the good news of God. The assignment is to testify to the glory of God. The assignment is to win souls to the kingdom of God. But this world is not our home. It's passing by. So I will not put all my efforts to gain all those things. And I will lose heaven. Heaven is my home. Where I will stay with Jesus forever. That's where my resources and everything should concentrate on. Hallelujah. So I am concluding. It's about the big picture. We've used two books in the Bible to answer this question. Because the Bible always answers its, its own the question. Asaph was concerned about ordinary people who did not know God prospering. Until he went to the sanctuary and he saw that there's a bigger picture than that. And the big, bigger picture is God loves him. God loves us no matter what. Don't forget it. God loves you no matter what. And God wants to be with you forever. Not on this earth, but in heaven. Or the earth to come. So you ask, why am I here then? You are here to testify to the goodness of God. You are here to propagate the kingdom of God. Does it mean that I should be poor like Lazarus? No. Because I said last week, the poor even have more problems than the rich. So it's not about poverty. It's about working hard with all the resources that God has given you, the promises in the word of God, the prayers, the skills God, God has put in everybody. Every, God has put skills in everybody. Stay on that. And, 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 and then God, using that, God will give you adequate housing, adequate clothing, and adequate food. That's all you need. Hallelujah. And when you're going, whatever is left, you leave to your children and children. Praise God. So it is good that way. But the, uh, our minds should not be concentrated on people prospering uh, uh, on this earth, amassing wealth than us. In actual fact, if you see your neighbor prospering or friend prospering, all that you need to do is God, I rejoice with them. But Lord, give me my own. You don't envy them. You rejoice and say, God, give me my own. That's what you have to do. And Jeremiah was also 
worrying about the prophets and the priests, which you all do sometimes. I, I hate when they, when they are conjuring things from their tummy. You tell people that your mother is a woman. And the people say, yeah, he's prophesying. Prophesying? We are, we, are, we are upset with them. Because they are leading the people of God astray. So the big picture here is, Lord, what can we do? What should we learn from it? How can I propagate? How can I testify differently for these people? come into the kingdom of God and to the glory of God. God will always be with you. Remember, remember, service to God is not easy. It can become harder sometimes before it becomes better. May God be with you all. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.